Welcome to Brighton Adventure Story Podcast. Chapter 24. Unexpected Visitor. Jenny gripped James's arm harder. Her other hand was rummaging in her bag for the dog whistle that she knew was in there somewhere. The advancing rats spread out. One of them risked a leap over the rushing water to cut a corner. It almost missed and scrambled up onto the walkway behind them. At least ten rats were coming at them now. Jenny hoped the dog whistle would surprise the rats enough to give her and James a head start. The rats were still isolating in the town, so hopefully wouldn't want to run too far after humans, even if it was for a barbecue. The rats were closer now, and she let go of James's arm to use both hands in the search for the whistle. Easy now, James said. No need to fight. We're all friends here. Jenny's search became frantic. Then a movement caught her eye. The nearest rat, a wretched-looking thing with a rusty fork in its claw, let out a hiss and pounced at them. Jenny shouted, dropping her bag. The rat's jump took it high, above their heads, so it could use its downward momentum to drive the fork harder at James's head. James moved fast, but the rat would still have forked him if it hadn't paused in mid-air before changing direction and flying backward toward the next closest rat. Oh, no, you don't, Zen's voice said as he strode along the walkway. Those are our prisoners, not yours. He brought his pike down, level with the attacking rat's head. Anyone else want to be the ball in a game of cricket? he asked mockingly. Bobby was holding a stringless ukulele by the neck, and he swung it down into a batsman's stance, ready to play any rat balls bowled at him. The rat that Zen had flung away from James got up and dusted itself off. It looked like it wanted to have another go. Zen raised his pike an inch, and the rat shrugged. Here, Zen said, tossing the rat the paper-wrapped food parcel that Jenny had given him near the clock tower. There's some good stuff in there. Go share it with the others. The rat took the parcel and sniffed it. Smells like puffed wheat, it said. Come on, boys, let's eat. The attackers moved back through the crowd. Come on, Zen said. They won't be distracted forever, and me and Bobby can't hold all of them off. He started walking back down the walkway toward the Preston Park clock tower. Not that way, Jenny said. Take us to the Quaker meeting house. Zen and Bobby looked at each other. Zen muttered something under his breath. The water's too high, Bobby said. No way you can get through to the meeting house. There must be a way, she said. Not from this side, Zen said. Apart from the old engineering tunnels, and you're too big to fit in them. What about from the other side, James asked, coming in from the sea? You'd never be able to fight the current, Zen said. And have you forgotten about the little barbecue that you're supposed to be guests of honour at? The crowd wasn't paying them any attention. But Zen was right. Jenny knew that the flooding was being caused by a blockage at the meeting house. But there was nothing she could do. She sighed and followed the rats and James away from the bridge to Ratterston. There must be another way of getting into the meeting house. She was trying hard to think of another way of getting into the meeting house when James stopped right in front of her. What's that? he said, pointing out into the gloomy expanse of the fast, wide river. At first, Jenny could not see much beyond the light cast by the torches attached to the walkway. Then she saw a glint of silvery white, 
upstream and out in the middle of the water. Hey, James called out. Hegel, over here. Shh, Zen hissed. Do I need to remind you what happens if the locals remember there's tasty humans nearby? The silvery-white thing paused, flickering in the middle of the rushing water. Then it came toward them, and Jenny could make out Hegel on top of the silvery-white, being thrown around just above the surface of the water. The hedgehog was riding on the back of a massive carp, the fish scales glistening above the surface. He was holding tight to some kind of reins, which seemed to be how he was steering the writhing fish. "'How do you stop this thing?' he shouted, desperately pulling both reins back as hard as he could. He was only ten feet from the walkway and still going fast. The head of the fish reared up out of the water, and Jenny saw that it wasn't reins that Hegel was holding, it was the fishy barbels that grew from the sides of the carp's mouth like whiskery tentacles. Sensing that it was about to collide with the edge of the cavern, the fish gave a flick of its tail and dipped hard under the water like an Olympic swimmer turning at the end of a length. This was all too much for poor old Hegel, who could hold the barbels no longer. He was cast from the silvery steed, curling into a protective spheroid as he soared over the children. His trajectory took him along the curve of the cavern roof and brought him down the wall behind Bobby. Hegel's feet hit the walkway, and before Bobby could react, the hedgehog's pike was out and its tip was an inch from the rat's neck. "'Don't move, rat!' Hegel said. "'Let the children go, or your body will be floating back to Ratterston without your head attached!' "'No, Hegel,' Jenny said. "'They're friends. They're helping us.' She moved around Bobby and knelt down by the steadfast hedgehog. His spines were stuck up on end and quivering, ready for attack. "'These are mercenaries,' Hegel said. "'Worst kind of rat to be friends with. Their loyalty is only as good as the money in your pocket.' "'Oh, Pricklepig, you're hurting my feelings,' Zen said. "'And I'm not sure that cutting my cousin Bobby's head off would help you, "'unless you're trying to improve his looks, that is.' Hegel kept his pike high, but moved away from Bobby and toward the children. "'What are you doing down here?' Jenny asked. "'I thought you said you'd never come and visit the rats.' "'I'm not visiting!' The hedgehog shook his spines, and they flattened down in a calmer manner. There's no way I'd ever come down here. No way. It's that long man and his evil friend. They flooded the rockery and are fishing for Henry. I tried to stop them, but ended up in the flood water. Got swept into an overflow drain. I would have drowned if I hadn't held on to that little guy. I hoped that if I followed the flow, I'd end up out in the sea. But here I am, rescuing you children again. Come on, we've got to get back to the rockery. "'You're not rescuing us,' James started, but Jenny cut him off. "'Thanks,' she said. "'Do you think that the long man has any chance of catching Henry and getting the Stone of Brighthelm?' Before answering, the hedgehog brushed past Zen, deliberately prickling the rat with a few spines on the way through. The children and the rats started after the fractious hedgehog. "'There's no time for chat,' Hegel said. "'Everything in the Rockery's Pond is protected by the Sentinel.' But that schemer has risen the Wellsbourne and tempted Henry up. If the fish swims out of the protection of the elm tree, then the long man can get the stone. How can we stop the long man if Skady is around, James asked. How can we stop the flooding if we can't get into the meeting house, Jenny asked. She pulled out the map and the blue pencil sharpener as they walked. 
I'm not fighting that creature again, Bobby said. I lost my best cricket bat last time. It might be best for you to go back and try and unblock the rivers, James said. If you can use the engineering tunnels, you might be able to do something. And tell Lord Ratzenberg to evacuate the town, Jenny added, not looking up from the map. If the long man is up at the rockery, Lord Ratzenberg's got nothing to worry about. And if the water keeps rising, he won't have a town to lord over anyway. The two rats nodded and peeled off back toward Ratterston. Thank goodness they're gone, Hegel said. You can't let your guard down where rats are concerned. The cavern grew smaller and they took a side tunnel away from the huge river and into a smaller sewer. The water there was high too, higher even than the wooden walkway. It splashed up to their ankles, making their progress slower. Jenny had her torch out and was shining it on the map, trying to look for another way to get to the Quaker meeting house and stop the blockage. James walked ahead with Hegel. Where was the long man? James asked. Up on the bridge to the rockery, Hegel said. Fishing from there. That nasty thing's up there too, guarding him. The water was rising fast. Henry likes the deep water of the pond. But if the water gets higher, he might come up and out of it. Then the long man could snag him. What can we do to stop him? James asked. Don't try fighting, that's for sure. Almost got me killed. Our best hope is to catch Henry ourselves before the long man could get his hands on him. They reached the open gate to the clock tower. Jenny had not had any luck finding another route to the meeting house. She was tracing the route of the Lewis tributary when they reached the top of the stairs. Hegel opened the door and the sound of torrential rain came back. They paused under the shelter of the clock tower. They had a view down the hill across the park. The flooding was worse than Jenny had imagined. There was a lake of water that reached up as far as a square cafe. Even if they could catch Henry first, they needed to unblock the Wellsbourne, which meant finding some other way to... James, she said, look at this. The river from Lewis meets the main Wellsbourne before it turns sharply and runs up to the meeting house. Where do you think that turn is? She passed the map and the blue sharpener to him. She already had an idea of where it was. Hegel, she said, do you know how the Prince Regent diverted the Wellsbourne? The hedgehog looked at her quizzically. That was hundreds of years ago, he said. How old do you think I am? But yes, they had to build a big old pipe and plug the marsh to do it. All because of some ridiculous palace. Because the water would pool in front of the pavilion and then run down to the sea, Jenny said. If we can unplug the marsh, the river should take the old routes down through Pool Valley. And that would let the water up here drain. Where is the plug, the one for the marsh? I don't know what you'd call it, Hegel said. But that stupid prince couldn't help himself. He always had to turn everything into some fancy statue. He even used some old river water to make the statue all wet. It's at the old Steen, James announced. That's where the rivers meet. Exactly, Jenny nodded. It's the big fountain. That's the plug. If we can unplug it, then we can stop the flooding up here. She put the map in her rucksack and they climbed carefully over the fence that surrounded the clock tower. The grass was waterlogged and squelched and sucked at their feet as they went. The wind was even stronger now, and huge raindrops were being driven into them as they crossed the field toward the rockery. They passed the square cafe and started to wade. The water quickly reached Jenny's knees and then her waist. Poor Hegel was completely out of his depth. 
Jenny and James held his pike between them, and he held onto it tight to stay out of the water. They actually had to swim the last 20 metres to the half-submerged elm tree. The whole of the road and even the traffic lights were completely underwater. There was no way to get inside the elm to the chamber. Hegel dragged himself up and among the branches, and the children followed. From their vantage point, they could see across the floodwater lake to the rockery, where the tall form of the long man was standing on the little bridge, still a good five metres above the rising water. He had a huge fishing rod between both hands and was peering into the murky depths. Jenny couldn't see what he was looking at. Then the surface of the water broke and a gigantic shape appeared. The carp, Enri. It made the fish Hegel was riding earlier look small. Enri must have been as big as an orca. Its back curved up and then disappeared down below the rain-hammered lake. The long man heaved his rod and cast a line and hook toward the carp. The bait on the end of the hook was a full corn on the cob, which struck the water and sank just where the massive fish had surfaced. There was a crazed look on the long man's face as he waited and watched. And the children watched too, unable to move, as the long man's line was pulled tight.